Escape from Plan A. Welcome to Escape from Plan 8. This is Teen. Uh, we're going to do another monologue episode right now because it was actually pretty difficult to get um, a pod together for this week. It seems like everyone's at home social distancing, you know, here in New York City. We're all pretty much on mandatory lockdown. We're not really supposed to leave our apartments except for essential business. So it might seem that we have a lot of time to just, you know, do a bunch of podcasts. But it's actually been quite a busy time. Um, a lot of people are tending to, you know, family. They're tending to businesses that are in jeopardy. Uh, you know, uh, Plan A is a thing that we do on the side. Um for you know on on a volunteer basis uh so apologies for getting the episode out a little late this week but we're going to try and catch up and make sure that another one comes out for the bonus etc and we'll be back on track um but since the pods that we had planned um we just couldn't find the time to get them done this week uh i figured maybe i'll just give a quick update and this will be a, a rather short one um the situation with the coronavirus, I mean, I think everyone's gotten, I don't need to say anything much about it other than I can share that I live um, in Elmhurst, which is the, in Queens here in New York, which is the, what has been called by the mayor as the epicenter of the epicenter. Um, Elmhurst Hospital, which is, uh, which has been in the news, uh, is about four blocks from here. It's uh, a really bad scene over there by all accounts. Um, overrun with patients. Um, they actually have a refrigerated truck parked outside for the bodies because the morgue is uh, too small to fit the the victims. I think on Tuesday of last week there were uh, thirteen deaths in a single day there. So this is this is pretty serious. Um, the food distribution system in New York is starting to break down. We are having labor problems. Um, a lot of workers uh, don't feel safe going to work. Um, the local grocery store is going to be shut down for about two weeks. And the ones that are open, um, we have to observe social distancing rules. So they're only letting in, you know, 10 to 15 customers at a time. And I'm hearing that people are waiting in line for multiple hours just to go buy groceries. And when they are in there, there's a ration as to how much you can buy. So it is not an easy time right now in New York. And I know the rest of the country is preparing to um, encounter stuff like this. So I, I don't, from, from all accounts, I, I d it does seem that the, um, density of New York has really contributed to the problem. And so maybe, I don't know, maybe it, it won't, um, it won't come to what it's, um, come to here in New York city, but it seems like the entire country virtually is on some sort of, uh, social distancing or quarantine measures. And I would, um, uh, recommend that you stock up on on food and necessities now while it's easy because once this thing really hits and the so you know social fear starts to go up and uh, social distancing measures are really strictly enforced um, distribution of food and other goods becomes a serious problem so stock up now if you can um, today I saw the news that in Alabama there was a man um, who and I got to give a shout out to 
Next Shark. Uh, Next Shark has been the only you know source that I've seen that has been consistently covering you know all of the racially motivated crimes uh, committed against Asian people, and they've been doing. Um, I would say a pretty good job of, of um, getting the word out. You, some people have different opinions of Next Shark, but on this count, I think that they've done a really good job. And they sadly reported today that there was, from what I'm aware of, the first completed murder. I know there was some a few attempted murders, including in Texas. This one was in Alabama. It was a Hmong man, um, not Chinese, and he was uh, beaten to death by his neighbor. And uh, they believe it was racially motivated. And uh, maybe I'll stick a link to his uh, GoFundMe in the show notes. Uh, I don't know how people are reacting to the, um, you know, what's kind of going on both with just on multiple fronts. And I think for Asian Americans, it could be a very stressful time uh, on at least three fronts. One is just dealing with the, um, you know, the, 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 the pandemic itself making sure you're safe, making sure you have enough supplies and, um, you know, just, just being subject to, you know, quarantine measures and, you know, all that. The second front that I think is in some ways even more difficult for a lot of people, um, because, you know, the chances of getting this, uh, thing right now are still pretty low in absolute terms and, and to have serious health consequences from it or is, is, uh, even lower. Um, but is the economic, uh, consequences of this, which are going to be, which are really quite big. I saw that the St. Louis Federal Reserve, um, one of the branches of the Federal Reserve, uh, estimated that we would see something around 32% unemployment. That's that's unheard of. I mean, I think, you know, in the, it's, it's just, uh, we don't, we have no idea what that looks like. Um, and we're already seeing labor, uh, unrest and we're seeing Amazon workers and whole foods workers, I guess they're the same company now, um, Instacart, you know, we're seeing more and more labor strikes. And I think pretty soon we're going to see healthcare strikes. I think there was, um, a doctor, I believe he's Chinese American, um, over in Seattle, who was 17 year veteran of, um, the emergency room physician was fired for speaking up about, um, you know, the, the lack of safety measures for frontline healthcare workers. There's been a lot of news reports about how American healthcare workers are not being supplied the proper protective measures, PPEs, masks, all that. You've probably heard these words, you know, more than you care to. Um, but they've been speaking out and they've been getting threatened by the hospitals, um, to not speak up. And, uh, he lost his job because of that. So this is just a very, you know, it's, there's, it's just unprecedented. I mean, this, this level of social breakdown is, is really unprecedented in New York city in particular, we're seeing, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of healthcare workers just speaking up in, in Elmhurst. I think there was a woman, a nurse who decided, fuck it. I'm just going to use my cell phone camera and show you what it's like on the inside, even though she's not supposed to. And the people who are on the front lines are saying, this is really, really bad. Now they're seeing, you know, the worst of it, um, concentrated into, you know, a single point in space. So it's going to be look much worse to them than it's going to look to, you know, any particular person just out in the world, um, keeping to themselves. But that is what, what's happening. I mean, it's a really terrible and sad thing. And so, 
Um, there's just the the stress of of you know the the way that the virus as well as the economic impacts of it are interweaving into sort of like this multi front um, you know challenge to the you know our way of life our our daily way of life is just incredibly incredibly stressful I presume for most people for Asian Americans on top of that there is this you know the probably the most um, dangerous and um, serious um, how do I call this um, I think this is a time when the reality of our place in America and the reality of race in America can just no longer be avoided. I think that's what this is doing. Um, I just talked with um, my friend, our friend Trevor over at Champagne Sharks. We just did a long pod where we were just kind of just talking about whatever, just everything. And um, one of the things that we really started to talk about was this um, tendency uh, for there to, in normal times, you know, not like now, for there to be an extensive buildup of bullshit, of bullshit and fiction that, um, and I remember this when I first came, got online and got, you know, interested in um, Asian American race discourse, which I had never been interested in until, you know, um, four or five years ago. And I just noticed that, you know, the thing that really got me um, frustrated was just the amount of fiction and uh, bullshit that was being paraded about as, um, you know, and it, it all made sense within sort of the context of race discourse in America, but it just never really felt like it touched on reality, you know, and I think we got into a lot of the, we it got very divisive and, you know, it, divided us along gender. It divided us along um, age, along nationality, among appearance, among sexuality, among, um, uh, you know, everything. It, every class, every every division, that everything that could bring us, that could, you know, kind of tear us apart a bit, um, formed the basis of Asian American race discourse. Now, there's various theories as to why that is, but I'm not really sure it's important just to say that I think it was pretty clear that that was going on and that it wasn't really built on anything real. It was more of its own runaway process of bullshit that we were so focused on what made us different and what made us unique and this um, desire, I think, understandable to put the inner subjectivity of me, of me as an individual, as the true Asian American experience. It's, it's very, um, you know, and at the same time, we would expect competing ideas like there is no such thing as the true Asian American experience beyond our individual subjectivities. And yet we would try... Um, to find representative stories anyway. We would say our stories, our to tell our stories. And at the end of the day, I think it was chasing this belief that 
the end goal here was for each of us to be fully seen, fully counted, fully represented, and that that was the goal of all of this. And it just leads to a lot of bullshit in the sense that if we are ultimately chasing after um, ourselves, if we're really trying to put our own personal lives out there um, on the record as representative of what you would call Asian American experience, I think there was a fundamental contradiction there, which is why the whole thing felt shaky and frustrating. And I don't think anyone was ever really served all that well by it, to be honest. Um, but nonetheless, that, that it had a sort of momentum all of its own. And um, I think this event is the reassertion of reality. It's the reassertion of what goes beyond our storytelling, what goes beyond our need for being seen and being represented. This is an event that is beyond our control. It doesn't represent anything about us or our interiority or our subjectivity. It is a mindless virus, the origins of which we don't know. And I think that's an important point is there's a lot of things about this thing that we don't know, but that we are already seeing the racialization of this disease. It is a process that has been essentially completed. And I know that there's been pushback on Trump's use of the word or the phrase Chinese virus, but I think you could call it the fried chicken virus for all you care. But so long as the media wants to associate this with the habits of Chinese people or the politics of Chinese people that kind of like the way we said, for example, that the ungodly behavior of gay people is what caused HIV to appear. So the unsanitary, um, you know, backwards orientalist traditions of the Chinese caused this to appear. And I want to make a special point that Wesley Yang man who wrote a book called The Soul of Yellow Folk, dang that that was an appropriate, he was an appropriate person to write such a book and that such a title cribbing off the soul of black folk was an appropriate way to do it. Um, himself, without any scientific training, um, did what a lot of us have been doing, which is to go around and say, you know, it's true that, uh, that all this... Um, and I think what he said was there was a Vox article saying that the coronavirus was raising or resurrecting old racist tropes about Chinese culture and Chinese food. He said that this is more galaxy brained racist tropes bullshit, right? And I think that it, well, to, to complete that, he then cited to a 2007 paper saying that SARS was um, connected to um, the, you know, bats and civets and that they were probably transmitted through, um, you know, the tendency for some Chinese to eat wildlife. And so the idea that we would um, resist that narrative uh, in order to excuse ourselves from racism, he said, was galaxy-brained. It's worth noting that a actual scientific study that was published in Nature um, said that the coronavirus, um, the COVID-19, um, they don't know the origins of it. That it's um, 
that the genetic origins of it cannot be traced to either bats or civets, that it's likely that this thing has been circulating among humans for at least a year or more, and that there was no indication that it necessarily stemmed from Wuhan, other than that Wuhan was the first place where there was an identified outbreak associated with this disease. And I think that I feel that as Asian Americans, we are going to be scared to dive into the facts about this case. I think we're afraid because of just how politicized it is and that there are consequences for taking any position here, including those that just say, let's look at the facts. And I felt, um, you know, I feel this weird sense that the things the 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 kinds of racism the the racism that we are going to face as Asian Americans being linked to the politics of the Chinese Communist Party is just an incredibly complicated and uncomfortable thing because not all of us uh, want to be so associated with the Chinese Communist Party, and none of us, a lot of us don't give a shit about the Chinese Communist Party, and some of us hate the Chinese Communist Party. And that means that we are not going to be particularly eager to challenge an emerging narrative in America that is going to blame all of this, the unimaginably vast fallout in both terms of human costs and economic costs that is the result of this thing that it is so clear that we are looking to pin this on China and there is a larger reason for that and I don't want to get into it right now but I just want to just point out that the basic political reality that's surrounding this is going to be the source of a lot of difficulty for us as Asian Americans, because we're going to be forced to confront, um, we're going to be forced to confront, or we're going to be forced to be front and center to this damn thing. And I really don't know if we're prepared to handle it. And I don't think it's fair that we should be asked to um, handle it. But one thing is absolutely clear is that the desire for us to make this the Chinese disease, that this stemmed from China, it was caused by China, that is going to have racial repercussions here for Asian Americans and the first man that was killed by it was Hmong. He wasn't Chinese. And it's a just a it's just such an uncomfortable reality. And it's so unfair. And I don't know if I'm saying anything different than I did before, other than I'm just saying that I think I'm gonna double down on it. We need to know what we need to do. We need to know how to respond to this. And I think instead of being lured into, and I see this, I see some people taking different sides. I do see a lot of people, um, Asian people on Twitter defending China. 
And I think in some cases, the American accusations have gotten so far out of hand that they should be defended. Um, it is a very one-sided kind of reporting right out there right now. And I think that there's repercussions to so quickly blame a country for this, that the net effect of this will be that any country in the future will be very loath to quickly identify and report publicly an outbreak in their own country, because the lesson here is that your country will be forever blamed for having started it in the first place, as if a country could start a virus. So the question is, what do we do? And I think it just comes into these very, very deep, but basic questions about politics and the nature of politics and power in America. And it comes down for me to be something very simple. And I've talked with a few other people that, you know, I really respect their opinions. We sometimes fall on different, you know, parts of the spectrum in terms of our politics. But I think we all agree that we need to push for a view. We need to push for us to look at this to look at our failure to respond properly to the coronavirus and the extreme costs that it's going to incur on us, we need to look at the ways in which our own system failed us. And you could say it was Trump's fault, or you can say it was um, something more structural than just Trump. I think it was something more structural than just Trump. But that the key is what do we do as Americans here? Like, how do we fix whatever's broken in our society? And how do we make sure that we're prepared for something like this again? And that is going to be something that I think a lot of Americans are going to be doing. And I think that is a dominant narrative. And I'm glad to see that happening, to say, this is about us. But there's another narrative that's being pushed at the same time, which is, yeah, but the Chinese caused this. And we are going to look for compensation. And I've seen that already. People are saying how, like, you know, in the CNN debate, how should China be, um, how should they be punished for this? How should they be held liable for this? And I think both are going to um, take place. I think we're going to have both conversations at the same time. But I think it is important for Asian Americans, at least, this is my opinion, I'm not telling you what to think, but as in my mode of thinking as an Asian American specifically, meaning when I think about what's best for Asian Americans in terms of our ability to thrive here um, and to take part in society here and not just be relegated again on the margins and um, excluded, victimized, targeted, blamed, uh, slandered. I think we have to understand that those two things are fundamentally in opposition to each other, that our tendency to want to blame a foreign country, a foreign people or a foreign regime for what happened to us undermines the project of internal reform. We cannot really do both by doing one. We are undermining the other. And I think that there will be a sense that the more that we pick at the things that are wrong with America, the more we're letting the Chinese off the hook and vice versa. That The more we blame the Chinese, 
or the way we blame foreign countries, the more we're kind of writing ourselves a pass that, you know, we were basically doing everything fine until um, some country, you know, some foreigners came and fucked it up for us. So I think we have to understand that there is a opposition there. And so therefore we can't do both as it, as a matter of our politics, we have to choose one or the other. And I think the choice is stark. It's clear. And I think we're going to see Asian Americans. Some Asian Americans are already very vocal about saying that this is the fault of the Chinese. And you may feel that way. And you may decide that that is what you um, want to, that is your politics, but just know that that's in fundamental opposition and undermining of the project to look inwards here and to reform what's wrong with us. For those of us who um, decide that what this really means is that we need to fix our healthcare system, that we need to fix our social safety net, that we need to rethink our economy and who it serves and how fragile it is and how unprepared our society seems to be in terms of taking these kinds of threats seriously and for our media to do the same for, for, for those of us who care about these things, I think we also have to understand that our tendency to sort of say, yes, but this also was caused by the negligence of foreign people of China the tendency to do that in us is undermining. It's 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 um, counterproductive because we cannot rely. I mean, even if it's true, and I'm not conceding that it was, but that's my personal take. But even if we concede that that's true, it's not our job to go around making sure that the rest of the world is safe for us, right? We have to be prepared for whatever comes our way. And it's not our job to go around and fix everyone else so that we can be safe. We have to fix ourselves. And I was really inspired to see that a lot of the frontline workers here in America on, you know, healthcare workers, a lot of doctors are Asian American. And for example, the doctor that was fired, I'm going to look his name up just so I, you know, but the doctor in Seattle and I'm looking his name up right now, who's fired for saying, and he knew he was warned, you know, like he knew what he was doing um, would be dangerous. Um, he's in Bellingham. Okay, so his name is Dr. Ming Lin. He was removed from Peace Health St. Joseph Medical Center in Bellingham, Washington, after publicly criticizing the hospital for inadequate coronavirus protections. And uh, I think, you know, I think we need to be more like, we need, we need to find inspiration in people like that. And what I mean by that is that we need to understand that there's going to be consequences to the things that we say if we really want to say the things that I think are um, encouraging this country, our society to go in a better way, because we've been going down a bad way for a long time. And if we can't see that there's something wrong with us, 
Um, and if, if a, if a doctor gets fired, you know, for saying that, for criticizing his employer, for saying you're not protecting your employees and he gets fired for that, he's speaking up against a system that does not care about its workers. And that's something that's a mega issue in America. And he was fired for it. And now you see people are rallying for him because he said what needed to be said. And I think I'm really inspired. Personally, I'm inspired to see that a man with a 17 year career, despite being warned, would put it all on the line because he felt that deeply about it. And, you know, I think it's people like Dr. Ming Lin that uh, we need to uh, emulate. And that that is um, the best response in all of this is to um, rally around people like him, rally around other Asian Americans. So many of us who have been, you know, um, doing the work and making sacrifices and chipping in. And how do you react to something like, you know, seeing Asian Americans getting killed, like, like what happened just now? Um, chip in, you know, check in on your neighbor, make yourself, um, you know, make donate that there's so many places to donate now. Um, I, someone on Twitter, um, put together, um, you know, a GoFundMe, uh, in order to get, or it wasn't actually on GoFundMe, but it was, um, just a PayPal collection. Um, to buy masks. I, I know it's not, it's, it, it's not a scam. I checked, um, people I know, but they put together, you know, 9,000 bucks off the internet like that in less than a few hours to, to buy medical supplies from China, including masks to donate to Elmer's hospital over here and things like that. Um, and just, uh, you know, get involved, you know, um, and get to know your, get to know your neighbors and you know, I know Jess has been, you know, helping out her neighbors and some of her elderly neighbors. I know she has a, there's an elderly Korean woman who's been having a hard time getting, you know, food delivered and stuff. And she has another elderly neighbor who's just kind of alone and, um, you know, do what you can for people, do what you can for your neighbors and just, you know, in an era of social distancing, don't make yourself distant. Don't violate quarantine. That's not what I mean. But, you know, as a figure of speech, right? Um, uh, I think it's a great opportunity for Asian Americans to uh, to fortify, you know, our links to the society and to take a stake in it. Because all that, you know, the whole era, someone linked me to this article written in 1990 by someone named Joan Walsh, a white woman who wrote about you know, in the, the prevalence of white male, Asian female couples in San Francisco. This is 1990 and I read it. And then they said it was like the most responded to article in the magazine's history. And there were people writing in saying Asian women, this Asian men, this white men, this white women, that regardless of, you know, it just seemed like something from a bygone era, you know, all this divisive talk about, Asian men versus Asian women, East Asian versus Southeast Asian, fancy Asian versus poor Asian. Um, just this endless division 
you know? And, uh, I, I really think that and I ended on this note with Trevor and I thought it was a really nice conversation. And he said he felt better and I felt more optimistic after it too, is it's not bad for reality to reassert, reassert itself sometimes. I mean, I wouldn't wish for this. Nobody would ever wish for this, but when reality does come and, uh, sort of break through the bullshit barrier that we're all confined within and says, look, even Trump can't bullshit his way out of this one. This is realer than real. That we as human beings are equipped and are intended to confront reality in this way. Right? We're not meant to live our lives uh, completely lost within the hall of mirrors. That's the bullshit of, um, you know, um, of everyday life in America, to be frank. And I'm not even talking about the racial discourse. I'm just talking about everyday American life, everyday American culture, influencer culture, television culture, self-improvement culture, you know, materialist, consumerist culture, whatever it is. It's all bullshit. And when a life and death event like this happens to us all at once, all across the globe at once, I got to think that there is a positive side to that. You know, it's not the worst thing that can happen to humanity, but I do think the way it's going to wash away the bullshit that we've gotten so used to, that we've started to cling to, that has come to define so much of our lives, to watch that get swept away by this, and by all the other real events that are happening, but we, we don't pay enough attention to. Um, the way that our economies run, the way that our environment is getting away from us in terms of our ability to manage the, the, the very real fucking problems of climate change. And the shallowness of our culture, you know, I think it's good for us to confront reality, even though it is terrifying. So that's the upside, you know, I don't think anything good is ever going to be easy. And so when we are faced, forced to confront hardship like this, you know, there's going to, good is going to come out of it as a natural byproduct. So that's what I, um, keep in my head, I guess, as we, uh, traverse through these, uh, to these events. Anyway, I've said more than enough. Um, probably didn't make any sense just really talking to myself over here, but, uh, if that's of any use to you, um, uh, thanks for listening. Um, and, uh, we'll be back with more pods. Stay safe. Uh, stay alert.